0: This boy and girl are going to be well-equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society.
1: Aloha, y'all checking in from the extra vortex Sedona, Arizona. Less than a month away from our next tribe design that starts on... It's actually tribe design 13th on Friday the 13th on the full harvest moon. I'm so stoked. I, I think we're pretty much sold out at this point. But if someone really wants to be there, um, go ahead and apply. And we're going to start a waiting list for Sedona. And it looks like we're even having our sights set on an extra ultra-spiritual place for the next one, which is also known to be maybe the most supernatural mountain on Earth, Mount Shasta. That has not been confirmed yet. But if you're interested in Sedona or that, go ahead and apply now. The Sedona tickets went pretty quick, which is so cool. Such an honor. It's quite synchronous, too, because it's uh, actually on Friday the 13th, September the 13th. And it's Tribe Design 13, and it's on the full harvest moon. And since I've been in Sedona, wow, wow. It is like a crystal ball. It's like being inside of a crystal ball, I'd say. And that includes maybe the ability to shake things up and watching the uh, crystals fall into place is... Quite the beautiful, mystifying, and grounding, and enlightening experience, actually. And this next podcast, um I wonder if it's going to be the most listened to one yet. Just littered with taboo topics um, with my friend Seva. We actually stayed in his house about four years ago when we were here. And I, I do feel called to give a disclaimer. If you are highly triggered by sexual taboo conversations then I don't know if I recommend this more or less for you um, and also want to give a hearts up about one of the ethos that for tribe design and what I live by which is um, heart sync over group think and what that means to me I think is demonstrated so well in this exploration with Seva because although I don't agree with everything he says and I don't agree with everything anyone says, maybe even myself that doesn't mean that I can't still team up with them and that doesn't mean that I still can't be synchronized with them and and love them and promote them I uh, was just talking, it's so interesting because I was just talking to Deanna about this the other day she shared some lyrics from a rapper um, from a guy that I listened to recently and the lyrics are profoundly deep. And when she posted them on her Instagram, someone's like, Oh, that guy's a gay basher Like they were just appalled that Deanna would be promoting someone that allegedly, from their perspective, bashes gay people. And it got me thinking, I'm like, that's kinda sad to me that I'm not I'm not saying that I listened to him because he bashes gays. I didn't even know that, that anything about him about that. But what's the sad part to me is that Some people will write off everything about someone because one thing they think or one thing they believe or one thing they promote. And I think we can do better than that. I'm challenging myself and everyone that's listening. Can you still be on the team with someone or be advised by someone or team up with someone or love someone even though you don't agree with everything they believe? Or everything they say. Or everything they preach. And I think if you can't, you might be caught in the snares of groupthink. And I would suggest opening your heart and kind of surfing the waves of heart sync instead. And like even at the very end of this podcast, I believe Save, uh recommends that everyone uh, should... <laughs> at least try polyamory or psychedelics once or something along those lines and you'll probably hear me like, wait, 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 I kind of give some feedback on that. And can you imagine if I didn't upload that podcast because I might disagree with them about that one thing? I'm not one to shit on people so much. And I think Seva is amazing and has so much wisdom to share and it would be a real shame for you not to soak in all the wisdom of this exploration because you might disagree about a thing or two here and there so th- i trust this podcast will challenge you in all the loving ways and open your mind maybe get your mind to be more flexible and your heart to be more open and to uh, maybe leave the cultural chains of groupthink behind and elevate more into a tribal heart sync <laughs> and uh, if you have tribe design calls you definitely get your application in and I think because this podcast and we talked about Save His New Book I feel um, I feel the call to share part of the Breaking Normal book as a teaser at the end so I'll I'll share um, some of my audio version that you can download today on Audible or Amazon. And for the book and the podcast, if you're feeling supported by these p- podcasts or the book, one of the best ways you can easily uh, reciprocate that support is to leave a rating, review, and subscription on the podcast, especially on iTunes and or the book. And I love reading them. I love sharing them on my, my Instagram story. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. And on that note, Um, For the people that don't know, for the brand of Breaking Normal, I would say the tripod that we're building here, one leg being the book, one leg being this amazing podcast, which are both doing amazing, the next leg leg being the app, which I have been – wow, that may have been the most surprisingly demanding of time, money – energy support and we're getting closer. We're getting closer to getting it ready for the public. And I think I'm about to have the new version or the next version ready for testing. So if you want to test the breaking normal app, I do think that there is a big issue with social media right now with Instagram and Facebook and training people to mindlessly scroll their lives away and consume content, just consume, consume, consume content. And some of those people there may be caught in that rat race maybe forgetting about how important social media can be for connection and creation and, and your own creativity and creating your own content and teaming up with people and giving feedback and saying less with more. And I think the Breaking Normal app is a major solution to that problem. And I know it's crazy that people were used to be concerned about their kids like smoking cigarettes. What's more addictive than social media? It's crazy. It's crazy. So. I, I really do think the difference between a tool and the weapon is whose hands it's in, and I'm wanting to really. I, I feel a deep responsibility to steward the Breaking Normal app to make sure that people are using social media as a tool rather than a weapon. So, if you want to get the experience of the Breaking Normal app, which I think is the most effective and efficient way to truly connect with people on social media on a social media platform, then hit me up on Instagram or email me at daniel at and. For now, enjoy this deep dive with Seva. This one is very Breaking Normal. All right, much love, y'all. Enjoy the Breaking Normal audible teaser at the end, and let me know what you think about the podcast with a review on iTunes. All right, keep Breaking Normal. Peace and alright you All right, y'all. Welcome to the Breaking Normal podcast. I am here with uh, kind of an old pal. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. rented, last time we were in Sedona it was about four years ago and i think we rented
0: a yes, you room at that point mm-hmm.
1: and we actually uh i interviewed seva here my friend seva ken at that time your last name was Kalsa. Kalsa. um mm-hmm. i would say you seem to be like an og Sedona night that's really helped a lot of people with relationships and
0: intimacy and sex exploration maybe i'm not i'm not sure if that's proper well, but well, well said and Sedona figures prominently in that description. Um, for those that don't know, that um, Sedona was the headquarters for Neo-Tantra for about three years, okay. between 2008 and 2011.
1: Okay, I have so many questions. I'm, I'm so excited to be here with you, Seva, so thanks for making <laughs> some time. And it's especially a special time because you, your book just came out. Just came out. And I'm holding the book, so if you're listening to the audio and you want to get a visual, which I recommend uh, because Seva is quite the breaking normal character. Um, <laughs> but I'm holding his book here, When Lovers Attack, subtitled, How to Stop Fighting and Get Back to Sex. Um, congratulations on publishing this. Thank you. How, wh- what was the process of getting this out here real quickly? Uh, yeah. Um, and it's a big deal to make a book.
0: About three years ago, I, s- I joined a writer's group uh, with uh, Kamala Devi who's a, also a Tantra teacher and pretty well-known individual, and uh, came out with a book that was about uh, 120,000 words, way too big. And it was called You Can Make Her Happy, which is, I think, something I've learned over the years. And, uh, and people thought it was too long, too blah, not really good. So I bro- decided to break it up into pieces. And this is the first piece. Oh, wow,
1: so there's more to come. There's four more books to come. Wow, 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 this is exciting. And for the long time breaking normal friends, families, allies, you may even recognize Seva because <laughs> about four years ago when we were staying at his place, I interviewed him. on, uh, the, And I think the teaser is still up on my... You can Google Daniel Eisenman and Seva. And there's an interview called 63-Year Young kundalini sex master i believe was the title
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> great title by the way thank you for that
1: and, and i'm gonna do is i'm gonna start what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna read the back of the book i want to read oh, the back okay. of the book and then great. i'm gonna just open it up to questions that come through me great. so the back of the book here it says love sex doubt falling in love is a priceless gift but it is not free As the chemistry of bliss subsides, lovers become less certain of each other. Such unexpected discomfort leaks out as cranky nitpicking and lowered sexual enthusiasm. That feels wrong, like an unjustified attack. Attacks, whether subtle or overt, take their toll. Reacting defensively, even to the point of anger, is inevitable, and lovers don't know what to do when that happens. Not knowing is a bigger problem than most realize. Frayed nerves and blood pressure spikes never get soothed or comforted. Farther clashes become more frequent than passionate sex. Then the relationship ends. Does it always have to be this way? Sava Ken, founder of loveandsexmastery.com, doesn't think so. He prescribes simple behavioral changes that reverse the typical slide into conflict. Through descriptions and sample dialogues, when Lover's Attack introduces... 100-plus alternative tips, techniques, and tools, 15 provoking don'ts, and 15 diffusing do's, communication that is a 1,000 times more effective, how to nurture physical well-being and rekindle sexual interest. Honed over 20 years of personal and professional practice, Ken's techniques change the fate of love and sex within relationships. A partner's cooperation is not required. Instead, influence is achieved by modeling confidence and competency. Partners cannot resist. Is tension with your love, partner, or spouse getting you down? Knowing what to do is the cure. When lovers attacks, gives you options that save time, reduce effort, and it feels good. It's in your hands now. Awesome. Well, the book is in my hands, though. Yes, I'm is. excited to get this. And it's very relevant. Deanna and I, I let's see, I met Deanna September 28, 2012. We got I proposed to her April Fool's Day the following year, <laughs> nice. and we got married the next day in Orange wow. County Courthouse. That's fantastic. So I think we're in about seven years, and right. I've heard of the seven-year, yes. what is it called, the seven-year itch? Seven-year itch. seven-year itch. Yep. And I think when we were maybe attacking each other the other day verbally, I think she, someone even mentioned that. So I'm like, ah, <laughs> thank you, God, yes. for delivering you're, Saba back in my You're in life. the pocket. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think this is huge. Um, let's just talk about some of the first things when I interviewed you and I alluded to you as being a Kundalini sex master can you tell us for the people that don't know what Kundalini is or what does that mean to you and is that would that be an accurate description while I put out a little bit of smoke it's getting pretty smoky in here with the Palo Santo and speech sure
0: Um, well Kundalini is a part of what you could call uh, it's part of yoga but also part of Tantra Um, and it's has to do with Feeling your whole body and feeling all of the energy that's going on in your body, in your entire body, not just your genitals. Um, So you're not responding just with sort of a programmed uh, response. It's constantly going into the expanded levels of awareness of what is going on with yourself and your partner clearing up uh, many new possibilities for interaction. So for example, you, um, you, maybe you're making out and, and okay, it's, you know, not quite feeling it. So, okay. Sometimes people get insecure at that point and they go, something's wrong with us or something's wrong with me or something, something's wrong with my partner. <laughs> What's wrong. And, um, one never has to th- be in that state, or at least when that state comes a- into your mind, you can always go, okay, this particular interaction at this moment is not quite happening. Neither of us are quite sparking. There's a thousand other things that can be done to create a spark in this moment. It could be just as simple as, okay, I'm kissing, but what if I put my hand on her cheek? Or what if I start making sounds of pleasure? So just tiny little things can come in to uh, create that spark um, and can bring in the whole body part. It would be, it could be like, okay, I'm going to use my foot to touch, and my knee to touch, I'm going to use my pelvis to move and rock. And it's sort of like um, you're just self-generating the sexual energy. And when you do that, your partner feels it and brings it in.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And so
0: the sort of the more tantric kundalini part is um, being focused on the third eye point or the pituitary pineal gland, middle of the brain. It's kind of a point of reference. Instead of, like, say you have uh, anxiety and your belly t- belly's kind of tight, you might be thinking, what do I do about that anxiety? Well, one thing you can do is you can kind of, even with your eyes open, have a go into a meditative state. Think about what it's like when you meditate and feel that, um, mindfulness, relaxation, sort of take over, and then also a blossoming of creativity.
1: Hmm. Awesome. Now, like, what tantra? Ta- you said neo tantra. This was the place where it, what, what for. Let's just pretend someone that hasn't even heard the word tantra. Right. What does it mean? That Sedona was the location for the neo tantra movement for right. a specific period of time.
0: Yeah, good question. Um, well, tantra is an ancient uh, practice of. Uh, Ritual sexuality or sacred sexuality from India, uh, starting about 800 AD, I think. There's ancient texts that deal with this. Um, And it's been a specialized practice in India for 1,200 years. Um, But then, as you know, uh, Indians started coming to America, um, 100 years ago at least, with Hatha Yoga and more recently with kundalini yoga and other types of yoga. Um, And along with that came some Tantra education. Um, One uh, one of the traditional yoga teachers, not traditional, well, an American yoga teacher Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, by the name of Charles Muir um, started to incorporate Tantra principles into his yoga teaching and practice. And he kind of sparked a whole movement which would be called Western Tantra or Neo Tantra. Um, so it's a it's a Westernized version of Tantra. It doesn't involve very much in the way of schol- scholarly uh, study, which uh, a fair number of Indians complain about, uh, from the inaccuracy standpoint of this. Oh, you're not doing Tantra, or also you know cultural appropriation standpoint. Uh, you can only learn it in this specific way through these lineages. Well, um, as Americans we kind of gloss over that <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's come to mean uh, mostly a physical kind of approach very kind of specific um, types of touch and uh, specific areas of the body like um, we use the word sacred spot and that um, correlates with the G spot in the woman and the P spot in the man, the prostate. So uh, either, either by classes where you, where the teacher explains to the couple what to do, and then the couple goes off and practices on their own, um, or whether the practitioner does it in private for the individual. Um, That is called sacred sexuality or uh, sexual healing. It's one aspect of sexual healing. Um, And when it's done effectively, it's incredibly powerful for the individual because sexual insecurity, sexual trauma tends to coalesce in the body in certain places. And those are two of the places where it does. In the sacred spots, yes, okay, the now, is this spots. something
1: that you've experienced from a practitioner yourself or that you do with other people? what's your and i mean 'cause that you also reference that when it's done um correctly or and that anything effective effectively
0: i mean a lot of it depends on the you know how the you could say the rela- relationship between the practitioner and the client um, whether there's safety and rapport and things like that.
1: Yeah, cause I, I imagine for
0: a lot of people
1: that might greatly benefit from something like that, um, that maybe they would not be able to experience, maybe their wife or husband is not a practitioner, how triggering it could be to imagine sending yes. their wife off to a tantric <laughs> practitioner that's triggering their G spot or sacred spot for not only healing, but maybe pleasure being involved. Exactly.
0: How do you nav- how yeah, does this someone is a, navigate? Yeah, this those is waters? a tricky aspect of it. Um, I would say that uh, demographically that probably 80% of clients are doing it without the knowledge or consent of their partners or they don't have a partner. Um and, it's great if it's happening with consent and knowledge and all that kind of stuff but um I it's not the responsibility of the protect practitioner to well some actually make that boundary but there's a lot of variation in boundaries amongst practitioners um they, in the in the school that I came up through which was the Sedona Temple um that was uh, kind of a shamanic type of base to the, the founder um, uh, uh, speaks of himself as a shaman or sexual shaman. Um, and part of the tradition of shamanism is that it's kind of an open book. Like you go into the wilderness in physically or in space or through trips of some type, and you make the discoveries on your own. Um, and then you bring them to the world. Uh, I was kind of skeptical about that. And I was kind of wonder worried about cultural appropriation of the word shaman. Uh, and thinking that, you know, there's a lot of people that claim the shamans in Sedona. And always, you know, kind of poo-pooed that a little bit. Like, what? You know, where did you learn this? <laughs> or what did you learn and from who? You know, and from what? tribe did it come from, you know? So, um, but then I uh, did some research on shamanism and there's a great book out. I can't quite remember the name of it. Um, I think it's by Robin Wright and the word God is in it. Anyway, uh, it's kind of the history of religion and shamanism is kind of the base of early religion. And uh, his description of it was that what I was pretty much what I was just saying that in a tribe you have a shaman but the shaman is not the tribe's shaman because of a lineage generally speaking I mean there might be a lineage that's based on some acolytes came to learn but it's not a lineage based on blood it's not like the children become the next shaman mm-hmm. so and the person is only a shaman if the tribe accepts them as a shaman. the shaman. Basically, only if uh, something effective is happening. So anybody can claim to be a shaman in the tribe, but if if nothing's happening, if the, you know that the whatever they do, do is ineffective, then they're just rejected. So it's a vetting process. So that pretty cool. Like. There isn't maybe a vetting process so much nowadays but the 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 path of becoming the shaman is really a personal path and deciding what it is that you're giving.
1: Yeah, these are all such like fascinating relevant topics for me especially right now because we're here in Sedona getting ready for our next tribe design which is like an experience of yeah. being in a tribe for a certain period of time and Feeling out, like trying, aiming to activate your tribal archetype in a group of people, mm-hmm. so that you can carry that with you into your personal life. Nice. And I've definitely wondered about shamanistic um, abilities or things I've experienced. Like even how you described it, I see the reflection of the mountain in the window. Mm-hmm. The other day, I felt like called to go up there with my dog, mm-hmm. and I had all kinds of crazy experiences. First of all, that's, <laughs> a, that's a false top. <laughs> right, Se- right. Second of all. <laughs> Aria so was so coming. thirsty. My dog was so oh. thirsty, and that was a big deal. And I was like trying. I had a bottle of water, and I was trying to find like curved rocks to put her on, put it on, and just give her. She was having her experience. I was having my experience right. of having her having her experience. Right. We crossed a dead snake on the way up. Wow. Crossed a live snake on the way down. Nice. I had all kinds of. I don't know what kind of animals were up there. All kinds of things. But I did feel like I there was some wisdom that I brought back with me that mm-hmm. I could. And I learned a lot. Actually, someone interviewed me the other right. day, and I I couldn't stop talking about this mountain <laughs> metaphors. And I I just really enjoy that exploration of the ambiguity. And what's the word? Ambu, ambiguity? Ambiguity. That's a good. That's, that word's getting me. I'll let it go for now. But the m- multiple ways to translate what is a shaman, and right. the, that I like the looseness of that, and your concern about it, and how the looseness of it could be dangerous for people to exploit that word. Mm-hmm. And then the Tantra and the um, the Kundalini. One thing that happened to me since I saw you last uh, was during a very intense time in my life um, and after consuming some ganja and maybe having a very extreme conversation with a group of people, a mastermind I was having, all of a sudden I got extremely disoriented after that call. Like <laughs> so disoriented that I felt like vertigo-ish. And I told Deanna that... I I told her where the hospital is just in case. Like I felt like I was having some wow. sort of panic attack and I didn't mm-hmm. know what it was but I'm like, J- right. I'm going to go lay down right. and this is where the closest hospital is. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden she starts doing some kind of energy work on me. Okay. And I, my body started going out of control like, a, like almost like a snake that's on its back. Mm-hmm. A snake on its back. Right. And Deanna was kind of guiding me through a visionary experience and all of a sudden I saw Jesus, like what I imagined Jesus to be, and snakes, and a <laughs> snake to be. <laughs> and I had this, and uh, yeah, I had this thing. De- I had to flip back on my stomach like a snake. to cu- That was calming me down to be on mm-hmm. my stomach. First, Deanna right. was like trying to control, me. it was all coming from my hips. Right. And Deanna was trying to pin me down because, and then, and then I got on my stomach and I felt relaxed. And I had this vision of Jesus and the snake being in harmony. And then, like, pff, complete calm and what is it, like I've I imagine and oh, yeah and leading up to this I was having symptoms like vertigo for a while I was hmm. getting so concerned I was wondering if I'd get a cat scan or something Wow! but this all seemed to culminate if I remember mm-hmm. this properly with this vision and then a calmness and uh I imagine that has something to do with kundalini
0: I would say yeah what would you what mm-hmm. would
1: you guess what was going on well, there
0: there there is a lot of healing type of activities that uh, are subtle, like you described, although moving, moving radically is not quite as subtle, but um, Diana putting her hands on you, you getting on your stomach, there's almost always some kind of therapeutic activity that can be done. And there's, you know, around the world, there's so many different methods for that, you know, acupressure, Acupuncture, with you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was doing acu- like to get rid of the after all this, and I think I still was feeling vertigo ish, um, but much it wasn't that panic attack feeling that happened that, that really epitomized the whole experience. I, acupuncture actually seemed to be the most one of the most helping helping things for me after that. Nice. So, and I got acupuncture done today synchronously enough. So, but by the acupuncture, dude, check out the episode, previous episode with Adam
0: DeViro, where we t- talk about fairies and much more. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But, you know, a lot of, like, let's just say you uh, walked down to the creek in the situation you were in. I don't, I don't know if you had water at that point, but let's just say it was happening right now. Mm-hmm. We could both walk down and just get in the cold water, and that might just poof, completely cool you down. The earth elements are really powerful that way. Uh, cold air, uh, sun, um, cold water, wind sometimes— just simple things, hands. Um, you know, if Diana had, let's just say, done some kind of massage, or um, you just started breathing deeply, um, or slowed your breathing down. Contrarily, you kind of have to tune in to some degree. Okay, okay I'm gonna try this. Nope, that makes me more dizzy. <laughs> and then you you kind of search around. Okay, what's gonna make me feel less symptomized? Because that's I know what the, I know what. Lightheadedness or starting to pass out feels like not good. doesn't feel good.
1: And, and there was one other thing that I wanted to tell you about that I remember <clears> seeing was I also felt like I saw the windows of a church, like a cathedral, mm. like the shattered. I felt like once my hips, once this energy went up from my hips, that I felt like I saw shattered, uh, the same kind of windows they put on church windows. Those mm. like hard to see. I don't know what the na- name of them. They're like multicolored and kind of hard to see through. Mm-hmm. So it felt like that something broke through my hips, wow. came to my mind great. to have this visual, and then. So you say it's great, uh, like it probably scared well, my what parents. Well, what I mean like my is, my parents <laughs> would probably be scared about this. They, I think I did tell them about it, and they're like very concerned.
0: Right, but I I do think yeah, it was I, great I, too. I think that, you know, there seemed to be some kind of health issue, of some type, compounded by the drugs. The drug that you were taking, um, just coalesce together and maybe maybe there's some kind of um mental emotional aspect that was going on anxiety perhaps not sure um but you know you you search for the the thing that can be healing or helpful either either in the body or in the environment uh in the emotions you can you could let's say you were afraid you could start crying and screaming or whatever your fear um or just complain, you know, about what's going on. That can be releasing just to have a way to share it. Um, or go into a vision like you're saying and come up with a a metaphorical um, answer. Uh all these things can be very helpful. Awesome. Yeah. And then
1: the other story I wanted to share about this and this may may tie into the tantric practice potentially. Um I've been listening to this uh Neville have you ever heard of Neville Goddard? I don't think so. He's a kind of a mystic of sorts that definitely believes in the Bible as a psychological thriller as for this uh, map to the soul. Hmm. And he yeah, so anyways I listened to this complete reader series and when we got to Sedona we ended up in a spot that I wasn't so stoked about. And then I found out about this place. I remembered I where we're at currently. Where I'm at currently with Save, <laughs> I think is in my judgment, my favorite property in Sedona, <laughs> and it, yep. it didn't. Know, I didn't know how I was going to get here, but I found it, and I started doing a practice where, like, visualizing me being here, but making the feeling very real, mm-hmm. uh, like I, it's already happened, and embodying, anchoring that feeling into my body right. before it happened, because first of all, that gives me the feeling that I'm already, I'm already winning because I got the feeling of being right. here, and then second of all. Allegedly, there's some real mysticism that's like the mystic secret, like Mm -hmm. feeling. Like, I was visualizing people telling me congratulations and all this stuff. And I visualized one thing I visualized that I really felt me anchoring in a feeling was having sex with Deanna on the roof Mm -hmm. because uh, they have an awesome roof that we've been sleeping on. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Funny thing, we haven't had sex on the roof yet. (laughs) 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 To come here, here we go. Save it it for later. (laughs) Save Save it for later. Save it for later. (laughs) Um, I. I feel like that allowed me, getting into the sexual stimulation, the mm-hmm. sexual fantasy and visualization, mm-hmm. allowed me to embody the feelings maybe more so than if I was just trying to think about it. Something about me having a hard-on, and thinking about mm-hmm. me having sex with Deanna on that roof made it so real in mm-hmm. my body. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. Does that have anything tie into Tantra totally. at all? Okay. Absolutely. How, how does that Absolutely. tie into well, ta- m- Tell me. <laughs> you
0: know, combining the mind and the body together. Um, when you... Uh, you know the mind can be a, a way to trip. And so if you're having sex or you want to have sex or you're uh, in the middle of a sexual experience, uh, you can always use the mind to make it more trippy uh, by having a, a vision. I, I describe in the book this time when I was having sex with a, a very new age female. And uh, she's uh, into Hinduism. So, uh, I suddenly just started to pretend that I was the god Krishna. And so I was acting like Krishna and saying things that Krishna might say and making, pretending I was playing the flute and making flute type sounds. And we just had a fantastic time.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> what this reminds me, too, is like the power of the visualizations right around an orgasm. Mm
0: hmm. Um,
1: you have any ideas around that? Because I think, I feel like that is also, I think from this experience and from what I've learned from others and just my intuition, I, s- I feel like that's pretty vital what, some, what one is visualizing or thinking about while they're orgasming with their self or with someone else. Right,
0: yes. Uh, I think that's uh, a factor for sure. Uh, it's especially important for couples when they're together. Um, let's say you... Uh, this happens sometimes with women too, but more so with men is that you kind of shut down or collapse after an orgasm. Um, and that can be kind of depressing or, um, creating insecurities or thoughts for the woman, uh, because women tend to be energized by orgasms. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you come off and (laughs) (laughs) there's, it's kind of a, a dead space. Um, So, uh, you know, if you can um, keep aware and sort of, you know, use your mind to create energy where it might not be there uh, otherwise. Like, oh, first you're dead for a few seconds and go, oh, okay, this this could be, uh, this is really a good time to sort of cuddle or um, speak about love or something to that effect. And that's using your discipline to do that.
1: But that could maybe resurrect someone
0: from the deadening yes, feeling. you can, and you that's know? what I've what I've found is that um, kind of like well, women uh, when after their um, first orgasm, they can be, and men too, but women a little bit more so uh, have really sensitive clits, and so um, you might have to, for depending on the woman, you might have to wait a few minutes before you, that can be touched. Um, so what you're what you're kind of doing is is overcome is you're finding a way to overcome that resistance, that physical exhaustion, that sensitivity period that then leads into the next round. Uh, rather than saying, okay, that's it's, it's over. You know, okay, now we go off and watch TV or uh do whatever we're doing uh which maybe that was maybe the first round was 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. But if you if you slide through these breaks, natural breaks, then it can be hours instead of minutes, and that just like any just like exercise or other activities, the length of time can be can make a a difference to your nervous system, and be more significant. Um, Around here, uh, I'm a mountain biker, so. I can ride for 30 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever on some short trails and go, okay, I got me through the day. But then, um, it's not, it's just not the same unless I put in at least two hours and now I feel very transformed and I feel like, wow, I'm good for days now. Mm -hmm. And so with a couple, it can be kind of the same thing where you, okay, now we (laughs) just been having a great lovemaking session for uh, two hours and we feel complete you don't need to say anything don't need to to offer any kind of support we just you just look at each other and go yeah things are good
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's cool that's awesome
0: (laughs) um oh that you brought up uh,
1: something in that conversation reminded me i've heard different theories and ideas and concerns especially for women the Orgasm. Inter- you mentioned the clit and how being sensitive after sex um, for some. The, what's the, your beliefs around women that may not be able to have or have never had an orgasm internally and only externally? Is that uh, do you believe that's an anatomical thing that some people might never experience? Or yeah, it, I, yeah.
0: I would say uh, in my research, um, there's genetic variety. Uh, there's women that uh, <laughs> from the age of five can't almost can't stop themselves from orgasming from almost everything. Uh, and then the other end of the scale is women that have never had an orgasm. Um, I d- it's unfortunate, I guess. Um, both ends of the scale could be a little, pro- a little bit problematic. But um, if, if someone uh, has fewer orgasms or not as good at orgasms as they would like, that's sad. And uh, things can be done about that um when i've I've i don't know it's the the woman that has never had an orgasm or has difficulty orgasming is a little bit of a weak area for me i'm not so experienced with that um
1: and when you say never had an orgasm are you meaning externally or internally or some
0: have never had an orgasm of any type oh
1: well
0: okay okay you're talking about like a Clitoral orgasm versus a vaginal orgasm.
1: I think I specifically recall a video I watched where a woman or a man was like encouraging women not to beat themselves up if they've never had an internal orgasm. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. And uh, yeah, whatever, that, that came into my mind. Yeah,
0: I don't think it's ever a good idea to beat oneself up. Absolutely, for sure. That's, that's not going to get you where you want to go, regardless of where you want to go. Um, so yeah, we do teach um, self-love, self-appreciation, m- all that kind of stuff. Safety. Um, there, there are. I, I, there definitely are orgasms that are stimulated from the anus, from the nipples, from the earlobes, uh, from the toes, from sounds, from emotions. Uh, from the sacred spot or the G-spot from the cervix Um, so these are all potentials Uh, the mechanism of orgasm itself I think it would be the same for all it is going to be involving the clitoris and the uh, pelvic floor muscles uh, contracting just like a man so uh and and for a man the same thing like uh i can orgasm from prostate stimulation um i can orgasm from um great oral um mouth to mouth kinds of activities um and of course from my cock but i'm more limited and and i i have envy actually of women and their capacities <laughs> I've I've never really known a man that has the same capacities as a woman. Wow! Yeah, I mean there's
1: so many big topics that are being opened <laughs> up currently. Um, <laughs> let's talk about it's the one that's probably maybe the, this is the Breaking room podcast, so a little bit more taboo: the uh, anal orgasm or prostate right. orgasm. If yes. a man that's listening to this, that I don't, actually for myself, I've never had a prostate orgasm. I don't think not without my cock involved.
0: Well. I would say yes. Uh, that's and if probably true for me too, in terms of um, getting to a, a high enough level of stimulation first. But then, once that's established, I can go into the prostate and come from that.
1: Now, someone that's curious about that, what would you suggest if, uh, like, some baby steps of of sex exploring, sex uh, that?
0: Okay. Well, it's it's definitely having the two stimulations happening at the same time for, for long enough time, um, getting, getting comfortable with anal stimulation is a first step, I suppose. Um, and it, I, I don't, I don't think like to me, anal is not like this whole separate thing. It's just in a continuum of many in all kinds of sexual stimulation. Um, I had this one couple that wanted to explore anal and they would just kind of freeze up. Oh, we're go- we're going to anal now. <sighs> okay. This is really <laughs> different and big, you know. <laughs> and,
1: and when you're saying that, that's how they were reacting, are
0: did they tell you this or were you there with No, them? yeah, they, they they would tell me.
1: Okay. I and do you do things with couples? Like in In this personally? case
0: I was uh kind of as a guide.
1: Okay. In the at proximity. the same, at the same time. Oh wow, yeah. Just, that's tab- you know, That's direct pretty taboo for a lot of people in itself.
0: Yeah, um, most clients that I see are comfortable with um, being naked. So
1: well, uh, definitely, I definitely uh, see a cool comfort with nakedness around some of the Sedona waters I hang around. Yes. That definitely seems yeah, like a they part can, of the
0: culture. They go together, yes. Which I sure. think,
1: I mean, that's a big part of Breaking Normal. Some people, uh, if you haven't ever read Breaking Normal or Save His Book, f- f- by the way, where can people get your book? Where's the, the places
0: they can get it? Amazon. Amazon, okay, cool. Are you going to put so it on Audible? You have uh, a great at voice. Some, some point, it's going to go to Audible. Thank you for saying that. Um, and uh, it's, you know, iBooks and all the other types of... Um, I'm trying to figure out uh, the ideal print publishing situation but working on that cool um, yeah so many things and I'll, I'll just bring it
1: to the book because I know we could go we're, <laughs> we're opening up enough rabbit trails to talk for years I'd, yes. d- I'd say the book you did mention that you're having a challenging time uh, advertising on Amazon, which yes. I think is so interesting because I, I first of all I was like, wait, I can advertise on Amazon. That was one <laughs> thing. I was like, let me go, let me do that on Breaking Normal. And I thought about changing the cover of my book mm-hmm. and the subtitle of mine a few times, right. and I'm still yes. considering it. But um, if you see the cover here, I guess Sevo is considering. Do you think it's the sex word that you're having? They're having an issue with probably the
0: biggest issue is the word sex. Yeah.
1: So uh, let's talk about that, like the large-scale situation with sex, even the word sex being a taboo. What what the heavens happen there? Do you have any ideas around that, any bigger-picture ideas around the cultural
0: craziness on that? Well, um, I suppose it goes back to the 80s and the growth of the religious right uh, combined with um, greater and greater concern about kids' safety and... um, and uh, culminating with uh, what I encourage, and it's great, is the Me Too movement and uh, safety around uh, females and their experiences out in the world. Um, I, I absolutely support consensus about safety, for sure. Um, all both genders, all genders, uh, you know, can't really be fully themselves in expression if they don't feel safe and so i encourage that entirely um however um <laughs> and that makes uh, that makes
1: perfect sense like anytime i want to sleep or have sex it's not like i want to be in a dangerous situation right i want to make sure that it's safe <laughs> like if things are this parameter is secured and then i can think about sleeping or having sex right and if someone is just feeling that sex is dangerous right because whatever the way they were raised or whatever memes they picked yes. up that is that's an issue that is. that's a uh, situation to overcome
0: and it's it's and the the negative uh memes out there from parents and the media and the culture uh are starting are have been for a long time and are now causing more problems like uh if you if you're told from the day you're born that sex is bad then you go get married or that sex is scary or you know taboo in some some form you go get married at age 20 Let's say. Now sex is fine. Do it. It just doesn't happen that way. It really doesn't. The, the do leg typically
1: happens in that situation. Well then? the
0: if you if you have been the kind of person who takes in all those messages and now you're now you're in a situation where you're with a naked other human, you can't overcome the negative immediately you may never overcome the negative which is a really sad thing um and you it, but at least will take some time and you'll have to do some work to over to to go from sex is bad to sex is good it just doesn't happen overnight
1: and what about? I mean, you mentioned since the day one or since they were birth. What do you think about the circumcision thing too? I mean, that's just oh, another you're talking. I yeah. mean, from my understanding, yeah. it seems as if babies are being cur- still to so this potentially today. I don't know how many baby boys mm. are being born, and one of the first experiences of being welcomed to this planet is they get their most sensitive sexual <laughs> organs snipped. Yep. I I've, I've I was circumcised a year two. What, what is, I, I don't even understand exactly how that's affected me. I do think being aware of it and being like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this was wrong, <laughs> and let's don't do this anymore. I think that's a good right. step in my healing yes. and the healing of the that's world. A good step. I, I would love to know if you have anything to say about that. And
0: I'm, I'm not a really a circumcision expert. You know, I've read some things about um, what nerves are in the foreskin and how that is, affects sex, and some research I've read that the foreskin Allows for the penis, to, the, the head, the glands to be protected, so that it's more sensitive. Other research I've read, it's less sensitive. It's kind of mixed, from what I can tell.
1: Do you think it's a good idea to circumcise? No, okay, no, I don't either. I
0: mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean I, I'm open to
1: someone. There talking are definitely to me
0: about a that. number of female pop in the quite a few of the female population prefers circumcised. Just because uh, that's the image that they're expecting. What they probably just—they just probably don't know better that you know when you get erect, it looks pretty much the same. It just looks different when it's flaccid.
1: Um. All right. So let's bounce back to the book here. I'm <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's see what kind of golden thread that we're <laughs> weaving here.
0: <laughs> the cover's cool. So about the advertising too, on uh, trying to get into advertising. Um. So what? Uh, I would place an ad and this would be like trying to have a sponsored little square in the listing of a, a search topic <clears throat> to raise my my visibility on Amazon um, which you pay by the click for uh, and they would send back and say nope we refuse the ad inappropriate so I tried that a few times in different ways and it, so far has re- been rejected. So I next step is to talk to an actual representative.
1: Well, on that note, if any any Amazon experts are out there, I actually know one. I just interviewed my friend Melissa, and they're doing really well. I talk about their success story of selling their sage sprays on Amazon. Maybe they could be of help. But anyone else that's listening, um, and if you're an expert in Amazon and you feel aligned with Sava's message, my message, hey, feel free to reach out to us. Right, that'd be awesome. um, What's the best place for people to reach out to you, by the way?
0: Uh, Probably Sava at loveandsexmastery.com.
1: Okay, awesome. Um, let's let's do some little popcorn here. I mean, okay. I, I look at the, cha- I've been flipping through the book. I see the chapter, Poking the Bear. What's yeah. that? What's that about, <laughs> Poking right. the Bear? I like that title. I like that. Like, that could be a book title Good. right there.
0: Yes. Um, well, you know, there's this kind of the, the cultural meme of uh, bears are kind of grouchy or touchy in some way. And so you don't want to poke them. Because <laughs> not only will they not like that, but they have the power to do something about it if you're out in the wild. So uh, I'm I'm correlating a lover with uh, a bear who could be touchy at times. So that chapter covers 15 ways that are kind of ordinary habits that people have with uh, their behavior and with behavior with others that acts like a poke, you know could so uh go a little bit further to the uh next page oops one more page okay so those are some bear poking habits right there uh, what do we got defending yourself so um uh so daniel i noticed that your your shirt's unbuttoned now could that is that a compliment or is that a criticism?
1: Um, I, I would take it as a compliment from you. But I could see how, it com- de- depending on if someone said it I didn't know, let's say I walk into a, a restaurant and an angry older lady's like, you know your shirt's unbuttoned, right? I'd be like, exactly. that's probably, a, that's
0: probably uh, a criticism. Yeah. Right. So we find ourselves just having kind of ordinary conversation. Now, I might... Think to myself, well, should I say this or not? You know, but let's, you know, I said it. Okay, so I meant it as a compliment. You know, it's I like bodies. <laughs> you're ripped. Thank you. It's all, uh, you I know, think, I like my. It's body, cool that like you, you know you're. We're, I should probably unbutton my shirt. Oh, right you now. have the option. You, know, you <laughs> I have, have the do option. Do you want to? But I don't look as good as you, <laughs> so I'll just leave know. it. By. That's subjective. the That's <laughs> <a beholder.
1: laughs> Speaking of sixty, what now? Sixty-six. <laughs> Sixty-six. Yeah. That would be Still
0: playing ultimate frisbee. Um, so uh, let's just say you acted defensively. You took it as a criticism, and you said something like, um, uh, "Well, you know, I I like how I look." Yeah, you know, or I, I
1: could say like, "Why don't you unbutton your shirt? Are yeah, you embarrassed?" Why are
0: you? Yeah, are you embarrassed of me? Yeah, yes. <laughs> to what? What what's wrong with wearing an unbuttoned shirt? You know? So you that's kind a of problem with You shirt? got a problem with unbuttoned shirts? <laughs> exactly. So that's like um kind of both poking each other. Uh I took a little bit of a risk by saying something that could be pokey, perhaps. Uh but you responded back immediately by poking. Not saying you did, but just in the scenario. In the scenario, you you poked because you acted defensively. And many things that we hear give us a choice to act defensively or not. And so I speak about just don't act defensively.
1: Hmm. Ever. That seems pretty simple.
0: It's a pretty simple one. But there's it's hard to stop sometimes. Uh, spe- you know, there's, there's Our partners get under our skin. And they activate things that we don't have control over. Um, I I liken it in the book to having the flu, and this is where the word attack comes from. So, uh, when you have the flu, you go through this twelve hour period of whatever of gradually feeling worse and worse. Your your temperature starts to go up. Your you start to get a little bit anxious. You get a little shaky. You start to feel lightheaded. Nausea starts to come on. And you realize suddenly with this horror, oh no, I know what's coming Mm. down the line. Mm. This terrible vomiting or shitting or something. But in the, and so in the couple's standpoint, all of this happens in just microseconds the the little the little triggering thing comes up and you go through all these body symptoms and then you don't know you can't control it and all of a sudden you're going to puke on your partner mm-hmm. fuck you you know or why'd you say that or damn it you know s- s- that's this little puky thing and you're you're vomiting, dumping on your partner, and you you just you could not you n- you might recognize it's going to happen, just a microsecond before it does, but you can't stop it, <laughs> like you can't stop vomiting. So boom, out it comes. So now you've attacked your partner. That's a cool
1: metaphor. I recently had something, that seemed like a stomach flu in Colorado, and man, that was freaking rough. Ooh, yeah,
0: I hate I hate that.
1: I don't know what it was, but man, it seemed like some, I, I was getting concerned. It was like, I had I, I started having conspiracy thoughts. Maybe it was the anxious thoughts. I'm like, because so many people had it before me. And I was like, what kind of designer sickness is this? Like, how is this going from one person to the next? And they are all puking and we all feel so like crazy and not everyone got it. So I was just mm-hmm. so confused and I'm happy I'm keeping a safe distance from that now. Good. What <laughs> that you were, as you were talking, I, I saw a page mm-hmm. here, my inner baby wants to tantrum. Yes. And I find that very fascinating because I see Davina uh, th- having tantrums mm-hmm. lately sometimes. And it seems like a natural, important thing in some ways for a baby. How is this? So, what are you uh, yeah, I, alluding I'm just to saying, here?
0: I guess what I'm saying is that over the lifetime from, from the time you're a baby to an adult, you're, you've been clamped down and not allowed to be a baby for many years. And so you have a baby in you still that has not had expression. And so um in a couple relationship uh I speak about if if my partner is not being supportive uh doesn't doesn't like my idea that I just came up with of um you know it's a little thing. Oh let's go out to dinner at um Mesa Grill tonight. I just so in the mood for a taco or so, something to that effect. Eh, don't feel like it. And I just kinda get um a a moment where I want to scream or or be angry about that or or be really disappointed. <laughs> that's that's such a little thing. Why can't you come join me for that? You know, or or I want to go to lake powell camp for the weekend yeah you know, <coughs> to love lake powell um but no i gotta gotta work or, or no it's too hot you know <laughs> something like that um or you know it could be bigger things like um um you know you go on a vacation or something you got this you know you you bring this romantic um secret romantic idea along special new lube, or a new sex toy, or some special new music, or Palo Santo, that you could get things in the mood, and, you know, you're you you all excited about it, and you bring it out, and just, duds you know, no response, or even negative response. Um, nah, I don't want to go anal, what are you talking about? Ugh. Just not in the mood. For that, you know, <laughs> and, and you, you've built up this whole thing This which would be just glorious for you. Satisfy your needs very completely and it just, boom. So, in those, in those moments, you know, you're crushed and if you admit it, you are really crushed and You know, you want to, you want to cry. You want to go into the fetal position. You want to, you want to feel, you know, you, you are defeated. And, um, or you want to get angry. I've done everything for you. Everything you want to do, I want to do. (laughs) Or I'm willing to do. And this one thing you don't want to do. And
1: What do you suggest? What do you suggest about that? Um, <laughs> let's let's just use the example that you have <laughs> taken your partner Lake Powell with the Palo Santo and the new music <laughs> and you're ready for um, anal. You're ready to do some <laughs> anal exploration and, and then she's just grossed out even though you right. had the whole thing in right. your mind. Right. Are you suggesting the guy in that position go into the fetal position to feel his feelings? Rather than crying or are you suggesting another, I mean, rather than screaming and getting angry or are you suggesting another their whole path altogether?
0: I'm almost forgotten. What do I say? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, that's, good. I mean, that's a hook for people
1: to check it out. Right. I was looking at the table of context. here. Uh-huh. Um, where was that? <laughs> and then uh, before, because I know, man, this time I, is flying. I
0: think it's primarily acknowledging. Yeah, one, one can su- suppress, um, those reactions, um, and say, oh, I'm, I'm too big of a man, or I shouldn't have those reactions, or oh, you know, there we, here we go again, you know, another disappointment. Um, so it's, I think it's just uh, in some way you acknowledge to yourself, or you find a time to acknowledge with the partner that there's uh, been some emotions that came up.
1: Awesome, and then um, real quickly because I know we're at fifty-four mark already. <laughs> Some right. big topics of the Breaking Room podcast mm-hmm. so far have been uh, about polyamory, mm-hmm. about psychedelics, um, and also I want I wanted to just hear your whatever that brings up for you, polyamory and psychedelics, and then also your partner Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've heard throughout this interview you've alluded to being with other people mm-hmm. as well, so okay. I'm not sure if that means y'all are in a polyamorous relationship yes. or yes. okay. What do you think? What is it? I know that's a big hot topic lately, especially on the podcast world. Hmm. Um, do you suggest Actually, it? Actually, I've
0: seen that too in the on Medium, the blog platform.
1: I mean, I guess when is sex not a big topic? And yes, <laughs> I, it just seems like culturally lately, if I had to guess, like hmm. the current cultural trending topics, polyamory is one. Yes. Would you have any advice or perspectives for people to share that might be in a polyamorous relationship? There is so fucking messy, or they are curious about a polyamorous relationship, or they're scared of it, or they want to do it, and they're not doing it. I know there's all kinds of angles on that one. Uh,
0: Yes. I have quite a bit of experience in this realm as both a participant and a coach. Um, I would say that generally speaking, uh, people are born naturally to be polyamorous or not. Hmm. And there's a, a gradation course but I think it's probably genetic um, primarily whether people are tending towards monogamy or polyamory Uh, I don't know what the split is exactly but I would I guess I'm gonna say uh, 75 to 50 percent more monogamish or monogamy oriented versus 25 to 50 percent polyamory oriented Uh, that's not to say that um, one can't learn if one is, but but I would say it's challenging for monogamous oriented people to learn polyamory uh, and be comfortable with it, um, and it's um, of course also challenging for a naturally polyamorous person to try to be monogamous. Um, so uh, it used to manifest itself in affairs, and now things are gracefully getting becoming more open um
1: for yourself you mean uh for society for society okay yeah
0: um so going when you first going into monogamy into polyamory no matter where you come from is a minefield for sure it is a challenge there is i've never seen anybody go into it just smooth <laughs> I doubt that. No fucking way. (laughs) So if you are thinking you're just going to slide into polyamory and transition and forever be cool, I predict some rude surprises for you. And those will come to yourself because of things you didn't expect out of yourself, but also could be something you didn't expect out of your partner. And it's just a huge array of things that can go haywire. Um, I recommend having a lot of agreements going in. And you have to stick to your agreement. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no squishiness about it. You have to stick to your agreement until you renegotiate the agreement if you break an agreement even once you're you're in trouble absolutely
1: uh, yeah that i i like that last bit of advice i that's kind of how i live my life not not even to do with polyamory i i'm we, me and Deanna have been in a monogamous relationship so but it's inevitably come up in many conversations with other friends mm-hmm. they're not right and um regardless i I share that same perspective like if if everyone's telling the truth, it's so much easier, and if that means like sticking to the truth of an agreement that makes things that creative constraint is very important that does <laughs> That's yes <very> important. restraint <laughs> is
0: very important, yes, I mean, there was definitely when I first got into it, I was um happy, <laughs> having a great time um and I would interpret th- You always come up with this, something that's not covered in the agreement. And I kind of always interpreted, oh, this is not covered, so I can, it's fine, I can do it. And almost inevitably, it was ending up not being, the other person would interpret, it's not in the agreement, oh, can't do it. (laughs) So that kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, and, you know, pushing the boundaries, pushing the rules, uh, the, the, you know, the line between the following the rules and uh, following the agreement and not can be very slim, very thin sometimes. So let's just take an example, like, okay, wearing a condom.
1: I was just thinking about that, that that to me, that's the first thing that comes up. One of the things I'm like. One of the reasons I'm not sure if I would even be geared towards polyamory is I feel so like I'm very um, clean, and I would be concerned Mm -hmm. about the other Mm person. If I don't know this person that well, even regardless of how sexually attractive I am to them, I think cleanliness would be quite the concern for me.
0: Absolutely. It's a a worthy concern. Uh, You you know, people lie. Uh, People uh, don't keep up with their... um, um, Relationships or partners, like you know, you, they maybe had one night with someone and uh, that person wasn't honest, but they are, you know. Um, you, you're. This has happened to me. Like, I'm having sex and um, I did, I wouldn't know the woman was a squirter. Suddenly, I've got fluid all over me. Hmm. So what you know is is that part of it is okay i got a condom on but now fluid is all over me is that have i violated the boundary you know or let's say the condom rolled up a little bit or it came off for just a second you noticed it right away but or it broke. is that a, or broke you know that's a whole other story so there. you know things can be the boundaries can be broken even unintentionally And then what is your responsibility? That's a difficult conversation to have with your partner. Those definitely seem like
1: if I was gonna use I I, like I feel like if everything's energy and energy comes in waves that we're all metaphorically surfing the waves of life, I feel like those are some big waters to navigate.
0: Those are big. (laughs) Those (laughs) Those are like surfing dangerous swell right there. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you 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 know, you're gonna you are every Relationship, if you're actually caring about it, is going to have some work involved in it. So you have to kind of assess your ability to have a little bit, even more work with two people, even more work with three people. Because um, people, everyone wants what's best for them. And what's best for them is... Oftentimes, having more interaction, more communication. Um, if if the if the sex is significant at all, they're going to want to do it again. And so, and maybe you you do too. And so, um, that involves some emotional work on self and other and sharing, and um, that takes away from your primary partner.
1: Uh, you're the ge- the genetic interpretation and not being certain why certain people might be more geared towards monogamy versus mm-hmm. polyamory, or I guess there's other polygamy, I don't know, that's another topic, um, but without going into that topic, do you think that someone's sexuality is very similar, like someone's tendency towards homosexuality or heterosexuality or bisexuality is similar to Absolutely. their tilt towards polyamory or monogamy? absolutely okay that's cool that's cool to know that or that's cool to consider that perspective
0: yeah I I think uh, you know there's a huge variety of human sexual expression and it can't all be just like the odds of someone uh, growing if all of our genes were similar on the homosexuality scale let's say why what what would make someone become gay Uh, in their history and their experience versus compared to what draws them to the same-sex body as being sexual, what they're drawn to. To me, there's just no, almost no reason, there's basically no reason why someone would be gay unless they're born that way.
1: Hey, I imagine this is bringing up all kinds of thoughts for all kinds of people. So thank you for this. And I love it. It's (laughs) not, it's not like, uh, I I don't judge you to be dogmatic at all, but more, much more curious and accurately, or like at least honestly reporting what's happened for you. So Mm -hmm. that's typically the people I resonate with are aiming to accurately report what's happening for their life rather than trying to live up to some dogma or project some sort of dogma. So
0: yes. Thank you. I do try to put in personal experience with my research. Yeah, I appreciate that about you for
1: sure. Um, and then, uh, what was there anything to say about the psychedelic realm? Uh, what about psychedelics?
0: And do, you, what do you psychedelics I, with sex? I, I definitely definitely went through a phase of using psychedelics, and I think it makes for great sex, fantastic sex. Um, and I th- I look at those experiences as a model for what one can do in other ways too, just naturally through um, breathing or meditation or uh, just intention even. Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, if if one can do that through just intention, then it's more readily available, easily arra- There's no um, cycle you have to go through where the, the chemical is under control rather than you. It um, takes less effort. Uh, but, you know, it can be a form of energy, too. You know, if if things are a little sluggish, it can kickstart a deep experience. Uh, I do speak about MDMA in the book. Oh, cool. Uh, which I don't really consider a psychedelic, but some people do. Um, MDMA is a model for empathy. A very useful model, I think. Um, it's kind of like, you, it's it used to be used therapeutically in the uh, early '80s, for a good reason. You know, you, you're in a relationship. You, it's been 10 or 15 years, and things are just blah. Um, you don't care about each other. You're not really attracted to each other. Take MDMA, and now that person is the most amazing person on the on the planet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, that's cool. I mean, I, I also
0: ha- consider stuff.
1: I've never taken MDMA. Um, I'm curious about it. And I do think an experience like that for me or someone else could unlock or remind them of their inner pharmacy as well and how to unlock exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, but there's, it's risky waves, too, because someone then might be thinking the only way they can get that experience is. Yes, the,
0: that's true. It does come with that caveat. Um, I speak in the book how to, how to bring that experience into your normal life.
1: Awesome, or you're or you're breaking normal life.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're breaking normal life, <laughs> right on. Yeah, you're definitely breaking normal. Um,
1: <laughs> man, anything else? We're at the, We got a few more minutes left here. You have any questions or anything else you want to share before we say till next time?
0: Uh, let's see. Yeah, I just I think uh, I I really enjoy your lifestyle and um, the the use of finding places like this. This is an awesome place to um, talk and do a podcast and to hang out and live and um, your your search to find things that are not normal or, or breaking of normal. Uh, appreciate that very much, and um, uh, it's a good it's a good um, uh, phrase to use. I'm gonna maybe start. Using it more, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, please do. I definitely judge you to be breaking normal, as okay. I've told you before. And a lot, I judge a lot of people in Sedona to be breaking normal. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. With this Vortex or Crystal Ball or whatever, yeah. wherever. We're at. How long have you been residing in?
0: 13 years. ooh
1: Yeah. Uh, but that's changed you, huh?
0: Yes, yes it has. Where uh, were you at before? Well, I came originally from Eugene, Oregon, which is very wet.
1: And very weird as well.
0: Yes, it's an <laughs> alternative as well. <laughs> yeah, but I needed to get more dryness and heat. Um but uh, but the whole idea you know, basically uh normalcy I think there are people that are genetically designed to be more uh live live a very conservative and normal life. I think uh research has shown that. That's almost fifty fifty split. Mm-hmm. Um and so for the and and in conservatism or Normal or status quo has the upper hand, always has had the upper hand because it it's, it's about continuity and power and control. People that are drawn to that get it, and now they have dominion over the rest of us. Uh, so it's really incumbent for people that are not tending to want to be normal to recognize that in themselves and not be afraid to do it because they will not be happy until they at least try whether it be polyamory or psychedelics or whatever give it a try it doesn't it's not doesn't have to mean anything and if it doesn't work for you that's great now you know and it's it's a lifelong learning you you know, you take that lesson with you forever and you never have to worry about it again. I mean, you might have it maybe, maybe you'll come back to it later and it will be different and better the next time. You'll, maybe you'll try it again.
1: Or in, unless someone has like a baby on their polyamorous experience <laughs> or, or some <laughs> sort of lifelong
0: gift that doesn't stop gifting in, right. the, in the wrong yes, way. That might not be. <laughs>
1: That's kind of my, like my personal <laughs> belief on it. I think the one reason I haven't been, this, I know we might go over the limit here a little bit. Um, I just got some more time, a few more minutes here. Um, I've also thought about like the difference between chimpanzees and bonobos.
0: right and That's it seems cr- like a fascinating
1: topic. This is like bonobos seem to be the much more polyamorous like female dominant kind of lifestyle where chimpanzees seem to be more like don't touch they like, they'll kill they will kill each other, it seems yes. from my understanding, and they it's more like the alpha male type of mentality. And I don't know if I think one's better than the other, but I do think that certain people are tilted towards certain ways. They are, and I do think there's also just from my personal, speaking up for myself, like by if I by being in a monogamous relationship, I'll experience and sticking to that, especially in my cultural references, it's almost breaking normal for me. And I think I'll experience something that someone that didn't stay in a monogamous relationship will never experience. It's like a trade-off.
0: Mhm, it is. So there, there's risk, always risk involved. The risk reward, and, and, yeah. and
1: that's why I'm such a fan of accurately reporting right. what in the heavens is happening for yes. us, and I thank you for doing that. Yeah.
0: If you've got time for one more little story. Oh, oh yeah. It seems I, I to be applicable. literally a- have about applicable. five minutes. So Oh, okay, great. So uh, I have this long, long-time friend, 20 years, who's very leftist-leaning. She calls herself a guy in. Um who I've used to know in Oregon and I saw her at the Oregon country fair and uh, she's just this beautiful older woman. Uh, she's 69, um, but still hot. Uh, so um, I see her at the Oregon country fair. And the first thing she tells me is I have a new lover and he's a Trump supporter. I went, what? This is unbelievable. Cause you know, she's, totally alternative new age tantric oriented and everything um so i uh i interviewed her later on i interviewed her and now i'm I'm writing a blog post that's gonna be on medium the title is sleeping with the enemy um can tantric lovemaking soften the heart of an ardent trump supporter
1: <laughs> i like that title that's a good yeah, title so like you know
0: he's he's rabid in his rightness and yet at the same time he is um, a super sensitive very tuned in lover mm. so both of us uh, my friend and I uh, are just mystified you know, how can these two things exist in the same person This this guy who can just totally trip and go into love and Sex and just for hours, three times a day. And then go home and listen to uh, Fox News and right-wing radio. Because the one is aggravating and the one is soothing. And so we, both of us are, over the next few months, are going to try to figure out how this is possible. <laughs> so f- part one of this blog series is how can this be? And um, how did it happen? And all that kind of stuff. Because for her, it was just a chance thing. They were both physically attracted to each other, and the sex ended up being the best, nearly the best of her life.
1: Hmm.
0: And she she has her sexuality, which uh, has been pretty good, but she's been had dry spells here and there. It's just suddenly come back to life.
1: Well, mystery is definitely a major part of my experience. It's actually one of the modalities that we advertise for tribe design. Like we leave oh. space for mystery uh-huh. because I'm not sure. if right. I think by trying to explain it, it might become more false. Right. <laughs> like that sometimes is, that is some a, things very, are words. a very good point.
0: <laughs> Super good point.
1: Well, you I think you've made plenty of... We've both made, or at least I, yeah, I'm conceded and judgmental enough of myself to think we've both made plenty of good points for <laughs> yes, people to consider. absolutely. And I'm super thankful for yes, you. Yes, and it's I'm been really fun. I'm thankful to have another par- another interview four years later. This yes. Is, I'm looking forward to the next yes, one. Yes, me too. All right, and then uh, check it out. You can get the book on Amazon. Who are the people on the cover? But who, like there's someone on the back and it's front cover. It's just,
0: uh, just models. Awesome from, models. From uh, Shutterstock.
1: Awesome. Love, sex, doubt. Let's yeah. talk about it. All right, save it. Right on. Thanks again. Keep breaking Thank. normal, y'all. Yes. <laughs> or, or not. <laughs> Maybe or not. Being normal is breaking normal for you, paradoxically. And the funny thing about breaking normal is once the normal's broken, the, the, there's a new normal. And then it's just evolution takes place. <laughs> it keeps going. Well, it's like well water said. and culture. Don't try to keep it stagnant. That's when it gets well dirty. said. That's when it gets polluted. Much love, y'all. Peace in.
0: This boy and girl are going to be well-equipped with Time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society.
1: Quantum growth takes place within your fun comfort zone. Chapter 3, Polar Plunge. Typically, the first thing we do is get in the water, preferably cold water, either right there at the retreat location or a short drive away. We've plunged in rivers and lakes and ponds. We've jumped off bridges and cliffs into the ocean below swam into hidden tidal lagoons, and showered beneath waterfalls. You name it, if the water is cold and clean and reasonably safe, we get in. The reason is water, that vital element which covers most of our planet and supports all the life it contains. Water, which is not the element we live in, but the one we are made of and depend upon. Water, which is formless, shapeless, and fills any container. Water, which is soft, as Bruce Lee noted, but powerful enough to crush rocks. I imagine that early baptisms, before there were churches and tap water and the strict observance of rituals, probably took place out in nature, outside the city or settlement, either in forest or plains or along the coast. People would have traveled to get there, some from long distances, perhaps days away, so that the journey itself became a part of the process. By the time they got to the holy site, whether a river or ocean or falls, they were primed to receive the Spirit, not by thinking about it or around it, but by immersing themselves in it. The self we are speaks to us not only through our thoughts, but also through our bodies in the form of physical sensations. I believe in the recent past, when those sensations got too strong, beyond what we wanted or thought we were capable of handling, There was a cultural push towards numbing sensations with drugs or painkillers, depressants and antidepressants, or trying to make them go away altogether by thinking about something else. In this day and age where there's a drug for just about every symptom and where the amount of control we can exercise over our environment is greater than it's ever been before with things like architecture and science and heating and air conditioning... It's almost like there's a taboo against feeling any way other than normal or neutral. Not too hot, not too cold. It's astounding the number of things we have at our disposal to keep us in a state of perpetual comfort. Ice cubes, microwaves, jacuzzi jets, electric blankets, robes, slippers, wetsuits, fans, dehumidifiers, recliners. Not to mention alcohol and coffee and sugar and cannabis and cold medicine and cough drops and alkalizers and decongestants. Not that I'm against any of those or against any of the other modern blessings we have, but I'm also not against feeling whatever it is that those things were invented to cover up, hot, cold, sad, mad, hungry, bloated, tired, energized, sorrow, pain, etc. In fact, in many cases, I've found that it was my resistance to feeling those things, rather than the feelings themselves, that was the true source of my discomfort and suffering. When I allowed them to happen, when I allowed myself to feel them, the feeling got better. Why would anyone not want to feel things when feeling is one of the ways we know we're alive? That's why we have bodies. If we didn't have them, how would we know how we felt, or where we were, or what we're doing, or where we're headed? That's why we jump in, to get out of our heads and into our bodies. Because over time, what can happen amidst all our comfort is that we forget how to feel. Not only all the so-called bad things that we didn't want to feel in the first place, but the good things too. Everything gets suppressed or mediated through the head. It reminds me of the perspectives, man invented the wheel and forgot how to walk. And the path you find yourself on can become the path you lose yourself on. We prefer to jump in cold water because it's pretty much guaranteed to make you feel something. As soon as I hit the water, it's such an instant rush of sensation that whatever I was thinking about or worrying about or distracted by is immediately pushed to the side. There is nothing but the water which is cold and my body which is alive. It turns out that getting cold, something we might have balked at in the past, is actually good for us in certain doses. It seems like every day, either on YouTube or Facebook or some other media outlet, there is something about the benefits of cold. This has contributed to the growing popularity of cryotherapy, polar plunging, and Wim Hof. Benefits include reduced inflammation, blood circulation, pumping the lymphatic system, and burning fat. Personally, whenever I've had a headache, brain fog, or felt tired in general, a polar plunge has worked better than coffee or pills. And I love coffee. That alone is a reason enough to get in the water. But the main reason we do it is to wake up the sensations we may have been suppressing. Not surprisingly, not everyone wants to get in. That's crazy, they think. It'll make me sick. Or they're already cold and don't want to do anything to make it worse. Or they don't have swimsuits. Or they have just washed their hair. Or any number of other limiting stories. There was a woman at one of our winter retreats. I'll call her Meredith who, when she arrived, noticed that she was older than the other attendees, and I imagine that catalyzed a story in her head that went something like this. I signed up for this retreat feeling super excited, but now that I'm here, I see it's mostly 20-something-year-olds, and I feel out of place. I'm 40. Probably the only one here who's married with kids. Something of the sort seemed to be going on with her initially but nowhere was it more obvious than when we drove out to Deer Lake with the intention of getting in the water. Mind you, it was wintertime and cold, and the sky was overcast. When we pulled up, the water was perfectly still, with snow-covered mountains visible in the distance. Our retreat had just gotten started, and most people were riding a wave of excitement, generally talkative and making playful, ominous references to the water. Our breath was visible in the air. This was not exactly the time of the year one normally associates with swimming outdoors. As we put on our swimsuits, Meredith noticed that her own energy seemed lower than everyone else's. She explained to us later that she seemed to be the only one not amped up. The water to her wasn't inviting so much as intimidating. Nonetheless, she got into her swimsuit and waded out with the rest of the group until the water came up to her waist. The water was cold and some people whooped and cheered while others sucked air in loudly through their lips. Meredith got quiet and stayed mostly to herself. Not wanting to stand out in a negative way, she pretended to be enjoying it, made small talk with some of the others who didn't go out past waist level while secretly counting down for the exercise to be over. When someone else was the first one out of the water, she immediately followed without having dunked her head. Perhaps that's what Meredith had in mind for the retreat in general, a dipping of the toes rather than a full-body immersion. Whatever feeling had compelled her a few months prior to go out on a limb and reach out to someone she'd seen on Facebook, me, that feeling was gone, replaced by the desire not to experience the experience, but to survive and get through. When it was time to go, we all dried off and got dressed and hopped back into the cars. Meredith, who had offered her minivan as one of the retreat vehicles, got behind the wheel, put the car in drive, inched forward a little, and then stopped. It was a moment of decision, and she looked out the window in silence. She became consciously aware of the story she was telling herself, the one that said because she was older and a mother, she would not fully participate in the activities, but rather keep an eye out while the kids played. The awareness was a clue. If she were at home right now, what would she be doing? Probably she'd be comfy and cozy on her own couch with her own family. But also, she realized she'd probably be watching videos about people on retreats, the very ones she had been watching when she decided to take a leap of faith and come. Videos of people jumping into cold water and coming out looking rejuvenated and refreshed. In short, this moment is exactly what she wanted. She wanted to come out here and dive into the experience, literally and metaphorically, but then when she got to the retreat, she allowed the story she was telling herself to get in the way. With that, she smacked the steering wheel and announced, guys, I'm getting in that water. So that's what she did. She got out of the car, back into her swimsuit, the bottom piece still wet and cold from her previous dip, took her hoodie off and waded out once more. The rest of us stood on shore and watched quietly. Her inner child was showing through. When she was far enough out that the water came to her chest, she turned around, gave us a part smile, part grimace from the cold, and then went under, disappearing below the surface. At that moment, she said later, a weight on her shoulders lifted, and the retreat began. There was a well-known experiment in post-hypnotic suggestion in which a subject is put under hypnosis and told that when he wakes up, he will get up, go outside, open his umbrella, come back in and sit down. Sure enough, when the subject is brought out of it, he gets up, goes outside, opens his umbrella, comes back and sits down. Why did you do that? The psychologist asks, And the subject answers, because I'm going out with friends later and it might rain. So I wanted to make sure my umbrella was working. Here's the thing he's telling the truth so far as he consciously knows it. If you hooked him up to a lie detector test, he'd probably pass. The experiment is worth noting here because the results of it suggest that it's possible to be under the direct control of someone or something else and not know it. So the question is, how do we know we're not hypnotized? If not directly by a psychologist, perhaps indirectly by routine, a group of people, our own thoughts. On a cultural and societal level, hypnosis works as follows. A population is overfed, undernourished, sleep-deprived, cut off from nature, and dependent on drugs they can only get from those in power. They are surrounded by modern convenience and material things, kept comfortable and stimulated and distracted by the news piped directly into their homes. Bigger elections, threats of violence, fears of scarcity... A society that is scared is easy to manipulate and open to subconscious messaging because they allow themselves to lose touch with their innate wisdom and discernment. They behave in false ways and make up reasons for it after the fact. Reasons they perpetuate and spread to other people. Reasons that may sound normal. I wanted to make sure my umbrella was working. But which from a different perspective don't reflect the whole truth. Their opinions, then, are not truly theirs, and they argue for limitations they've been conditioned to have. The psychologist might snap or clap or drop the subject to wake him up, but the way we do it is to jump in cold water. Initially, it can be jarring, maybe unpleasant. It's like the human equivalent of going from zero to 60 in an instant. Physically, everything turns on. The first thing some people think is, holy heavens, I want to get out. And if they do, that's great. At least they got in, got cold. Not mentally cold, not imaginatively cold, and not cold because someone else told them they were cold, but really and truly cold. So cold that it might feel hot, almost burning, same thing. They're having a direct experience and getting direct feedback. With practice and conditioning, you can learn to observe and not give in to that first reaction to get out of the water. You can grow to accept the sensation, acknowledge it, breathe into it, and let it pass. Your heartbeat slows. Your chattering jaws calm down. Your limbs remain under control. You realize that not only are you okay, you're better than okay, stronger and more capable than you know. That's why we get in the water at the beginning, as a show of agreement that for the next few days we are willing to go outside our comfort zones and play in more watery environments, Emotionally speaking, exploring their depths and surprises, we do it to say yes, yes to the experience, yes to ourselves, yes to life, because the moment of letting go and jumping in, that's what
0: it feels like.